0: Reading from the book of Genesis. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows. When Pharaoh woke up, he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and good, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump full ones. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled. So he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain, seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin sickly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind are seven years of famine. It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place, and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it. For the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God, and he will carry it out soon. So now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather the excess food during these good years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the cities so they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by famine. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and he said to them, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you the word of the Lord.
1: All right, well, good morning again. For those who are new with us, my name is Cody Quinn. I'm the pastor of Students and Connections here at One Fellowship, and it really is a privilege to speak uh, today of all Sundays, and you'll see why I say that as we go on, but it's a privilege. And so um, you'll see the title of my message is Faithful Steps. And so as we dive into that, let's first say one more quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, I pray that my words would be yours and that they would cut us to the hearts to help us, to shape us, to mold us, to be more and more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So any of you in here play sports? If you play sports, like to watch sports It's Super Bowl Sunday, how many like sports? Well, I'm not talking about the Super Bowl at all, so we'll just cut aside from that. Uh, How many of you played basketball specifically? So I play basketball. Uh, I love basketball, but when it comes to basketball, have any of you ever heard the term role player? Hey, this guy's a role player for this team. Uh, If you don't know what a role player is, they are not the superstar, They're not the face of the franchise. Uh, They just hold a certain role within the team. They're really good at one thing or two things, and that's all their job is. For instance... If you've ever heard of Bruce Bowen, I think he's one of the best uh, role players in basketball uh, history, and that was for defense. His job was to lock down the other team's best player. He wasn't the best scorer, wasn't the best passer necessarily, but he could play defense. His job was just to frustrate, to frustrate the other team, frustrate their best player. um, And he did that super well. But the thing about a role player is for a role player to work well, you have to accept your role, right? If Bruce Broen was to try and take over the team, if he was going to try and be the face, it wouldn't work well. He, d- he doesn't have the skills. That's just not who he was meant to be. They don't have the skill to keep up, but he does have a skill to perform exceptionally well. Whether it's to play defense or to knock down threes, these role players are expected to do that. No more, no less. Know your role, stay in your lane, do your job. And in life, we all have a role to play. And so the question is, what's your role? What's your role? We'll talk about this later in the sermon, but the, the truth of the matter is that we're not the superstar of this life. We're not the superstar of this story. Jesus is a superstar and we're playing a supporting role. We're we're a a, a team, we're a role player within his own story. So what is your role? The story of Joseph from the very beginning when we first met him in Scripture to our passage today and the the story after this, I really believe it answers this question. And Our passage specifically, uh, I think, hits it pretty head on. So Bill, thank you for reading all of that. As we are in this story form section, our scripture gets pretty long. Um, so thank you for, for reading that. Um, this all goes to our big idea for today, which says, in God's story, our role is to take the next faithful step. Nothing more, nothing less. In God's story, it, our role is to take the next faithful step. We'll see this through two different points, which is to remain faithful so that others may see. Remain faithful so that others may see. Before we dive into point one, let me recap for those who are not familiar with the story of Joseph, kind of in fast forward mode here. When we meet Joseph, we see him as the favored son. He's one of 12 sons of Jacob and he is the favorite and his brothers hate him for it. They hate him for how his father treats him. He has these two dreams, and he tells his brothers these dreams. And essentially, says, hey, brothers, hey, family, you guys will bow down to me at some point. I don't know how it's going to flesh out, but these dreams, it's going to happen. You're going to bow down to me. Well, rather than killing him like his brothers wanted to do, luckily for Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. When he arrived in Egypt, he rose. God was with him. We read in Scripture, he rose to become the house manager of this guy named Potiphar who was the captain of the guard, which he was then falsely accused by the wife of Potiphar for trying to sleep with her. Uh, He was thrown into jail. While he was in jail, he interprets a couple dreams, and then he says, hey, remember me to the cupbearer, and he's forgotten. And that's where our story picks up here two years later. After he interpreted these two dreams, the cupbearer was supposed to remember him when he got in front of Pharaoh, and yet he was forgotten two years later. And so our passage, verses one through seven, we see these crazy dreams that Pharaoh's has. And now, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a graphic designer on the side, and so to help us see these dreams, uh, here is the first dream. Uh, you'll see there's seven cows, plump and healthy, as we read in Scripture. And then seven, sickly. And in Pharaoh's dream, we read that the sickly cows came, or all the cows came out of the Nile, and the sickly ate uh, or consumed the healthy, plump cows. In this next uh, well-executed graphic design, you see Uh, These bundles of wheat or grain, and again, the bad wheat, the uh, wind-torched wheat, consumed the nice, healthy wheat. And we see with the Joseph, the, the background of Joseph's story, with the backdrop of these two dreams, we arrive at our first point, which is to remain faithful, is to remain faithful. So we'll pick up in our passage at Genesis 41, verse 8, and it reads this. When morning came, he was troubled, so he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said, Pharaoh, today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night Each dream had its own meaning. Now a Hebrew, a slave of the captain of guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret, but I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. And Joseph answered, I am not able to. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh has these two crazy dreams. You just saw them. Uh, What makes them so bad, though, is what the dreams consist of. What troubles Pharaoh so much is the Nile in which the cows come out of, And then you have the cows, and then you have this bundle of grain. Uh, Commentator Alan Ross says this, What must have been very troubling to Pharaoh was the depiction of the Nile in the first dream. Because of the Nile, the land of Egypt weathered famines rather, rather well. There was usually grain in Egypt. And if there was grain, the livestock would flourish and life would flourish as well. And so, so we see this moment of Pharaoh in this very troubled time. He knows these dreams are serious, and he's troubled. So it brings us to our first question of where do you turn when you're troubled? We see where Pharaoh turns. Pharaoh turns to his magicians. A man in his position has many different avenues in which he could turn in times of trouble. And we see where he goes, but where do you? Do you run to your work? Bury yourself in your word? Do you retreat within yourself, internalize everything? Do you run to drugs and alcohol? Where do you run? We have a lot of options here today of where to run as well. But as Pharaoh comes to see, and I think as we'll come to see in this story, is that true help comes from God and God alone. That the things we do to cope with trouble, fear, and anxiety, all good they may be and all necessary they may be, They must be founded in Christ. Only in Christ will the help last. Only if our help is founded in him will it never fade. And so then we see the cupbearer finally comes to a sense. It's like, oh, Pharaoh, I remember this guy. You're having so much trouble with these dreams. I know a guy who can help. And so two years later, we see Joseph. Joseph is pulled from his prison cell placed in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, look, I've heard you can do this. Will you help me? I've heard you can interpret dreams. Will you help? So we're going to play a little game here. What would you do? So you'll see on the screen, we have a few different options here. What would you do if you're in Joseph's position? You're in front of Pharaoh. You've been pulled from prison. You've got a nice clean shave. You're looking good. We know from previous stories. Anyways, would you tell Pharaoh good news? Hey, Pharaoh, here's what a dream means, and it's good for you. Now save me. Here's some good news for you. Would you strike a deal with him? Hey, before I interpret these dreams, you know I can do it, right? Well, get me out of jail. Send me to my family. Let's do, let's do this. Let's strike a deal. Or would you insult Pharaoh? And why I say insult Pharaoh is because that's exactly the choice that Joseph makes here. Pharaoh says, hey, it's not me, It's God who will give you a favorable outcome. It's a big risk because Pharaoh himself viewed himself as a God. The people viewed Pharaoh as a God with how much power he held. So saying that God would give him an answer was just a slap in the face. Pharaoh could have took that and done some bad things with Joseph. It was risky. But we see that Joseph remained faithful to who he was. He remained faithful to who had been faithful to him. All throughout being sold to slavery, in prison, falsely accused, Joseph turns his attention away from himself and gives God center stage. He steps back. He doesn't bow his knee to Pharaoh. He just puts God at center stage. And thankfully for Joseph, I think Pharaoh is probably so troubled he like let this go on. And I was desperate for an answer, but we see the faithfulness of Joseph here. He doesn't try to make up the good interpretation, just try and give good news to Pharaoh. He doesn't try to strike a deal. He just stays faithful to God. And so shall we as well? So point number one, remain faithful, which takes us to point two, so that others may see. So that others may see. Genesis 41, what we'll pick up in verse 37, it reads this. So after Joseph has interpreted the dreams, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And he said to them, can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. Only I, um, you will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Now, verse 25 to 36, Joseph interprets the dream. Seven years of harvest, seven years of famine. And hey, here's a plan to also deal with that. Store up 5% in all the cities so that we can last through these seven years so that Egypt will survive. God gives Joseph the meaning of the dream and also the plan to survive. And Pharaoh is struck by this, clearly. A man who sees himself as a God says, hey, Joseph, I see God in you. That's striking. By his wisdom and his discernment, Pharaoh recognizes God's spirit within Joseph. Matthew chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 read this. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In Potiphar's house, in the prison, all along his journey, Joseph remained faithful to God and he shined wherever he went. In all that he does, he represents God and he represents God well. No matter where he's at, He points to someone else. He points to God. And so again, the question is in your homes, in your workplace, in your schools, in your circles, in your friend group, are you representing Christ well? Do people see Christ in you? Or do they just see you? As good as you may be, the best representation is Christ. So that's the challenge, to represent Christ well, So what does that mean for me? Okay, cool. Joseph did that well. That's just an old story. That's a crazy story. Okay, but how can I live this out? I think there's two ways, two points that we need to focus on in this in order to live this out well. First off, we need to trust God's sovereignty. We need to trust God's overarching plan for our life. On the macro view, we see God's sovereignty. First off, the world power, Egypt, Pharaoh, they have to bow their knee to God's plan. This dream just says, hey, Pharaoh, there's nothing you can do to avoid the seven years of harvest and seven years of famine. You're not powerful enough. You don't control this. They must bow their knee to God's sovereignty, to God's plan, and they recognize this. So in the macro view, even world powers can't thwart God's plan plan. And on the micro view for for Joseph specifically, in order to get to where he is in this passage, think about his story. He had to be hated by his own family. He had to be sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown in the prison, forgotten. And then he's in the palace. Now he's at a position where we'll see in future sermons, if you haven't read ahead already, he Because he's in this position, he can save many people. He had to go through all that. He had to trust God's sovereignty. And we see that he does that throughout. Now, he probably would have wrote it a little differently if he could, right? You know those dreams he had when he was 17? He probably would love to go back and write more of a straight line to the palace, more of a straight line to to saving these people. But God had different plans for him. Romans 8, 28 says this, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. To love God means to trust God. Do you love him? Do you trust him? God's ways are higher than our our ways. We'll never fully grasp all the details, all the reasons, but we can trust that God is good and that he is faithful and that he's working all things out According to his plan for his glory. So may we trust God's sovereignty. Next, our role. We need to take the next faithful step. Take the next faithful step. Kent Hughes says this. He says, so we see the knowledge of what God is going to do does not produce passive resignation, but action Life's hard. Sin has left its mark on us. It's left its mark on those around us. Sin has left its stain on everything. And so we just got to do our best to live our next faithful step. Joseph did. He knew that God was with him no matter what his life looked like. And so he just remained faithful by doing the next right thing, by doing the next faithful thing. Now you may say, Cody, okay, that's cool. Trust God's sovereignty. Take the next faithful step. But what does that look like? Like I hear that's application, but I still don't even know how to apply it. And so what does that actually look like? Well, I wanna introduce you to uh, my friend, Alex. Um, Alex and I met a couple years ago and uh, we met in a funny way. So he's from uh, my hometown back in Beulahville, North Carolina, um, near Wilmington. Uh, and we met over Xbox Live. So we were playing Call of Duty Warzone together, okay? Me and a few of my friends' video games, you know, you could question them, but some good can come out. Um, we were playing, playing with a group of my friends, and Alex kind of hopped on the chat, was playing with us, and he was like, oh, Ryan, Ryan's another friend in the story, oh, Ryan, this is the guy you've been telling me about and that's your best friend. He's the, the guy down in Charleston who works at a church we're like, yeah, hey, he's the youth pastor down there, um, so on and so forth. He was like, oh, so he's not the real pastor down there. I was like, okay, so we've made fun of him with that. And uh, it was funny because almost two years ago, um, a a little under that, I met him in person for the first time. So we met there, met him in person, heard a lot about him from all my friends back there. And uh, the first time I meet him, you'll see in this picture, we're at a wedding together. And... uh, I was officiating this wedding and Alex was playing music and singing at the wedding. And, uh, we had about a, We rode together and we had about an hour just to sit in the car. First time meeting each other face to face. And the last time we had talked, he was like, Hey, you're not a real pastor. Um, <laughs> and so the first like 30 minutes he was like explaining, Hey, I didn't mean real pastor. I mean like lead pastor. I know youth pastors are cool, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, At this wedding, it was funny. I had to help him. He had never kind of been in this role in a wedding, so I had to help him know what to wear. Should he tuck his shirt in? Should he wear a tie? All this different stuff. Um, Alex, he actually came to know Christ about four years ago. So at his youth group back in Beulahville, um, he came to know Christ about four years ago um, in youth group. He was faithful to his church, so he uh, sang in the worship band at church. He would have been on stage. Um, he was always smiling, full of energy, and everyone called him a Jesus freak. Once he met Jesus about four years ago, he did not stop talking about him, like, and he would be honored to be called a Jesus freak. Like on his Instagram, his reel, all that sort of stuff, you met him in person, it's all about Jesus. He was incredible. But at 19 years old, on January 18th, he was diagnosed with adrenal carcinoma. He had masses on several different organs. The very first scan that they had showed a 9-centimeter mass. A few days later, it was already at 11 and a half. Um And 23 days later, this past Thursday, on February 10th, he passed away. And it was such a horrible diagnosis. Alex could have done a lot of things starting on January 18th. He had a lot of options. He could coast the rest of his life, however long that may be. He, he, could, have, um, he could have got angry. He could have rebelled. He could have started to shut people out. He could have started to shut God out. There were a lot of options. But this is how Alex spent some of those last days. You'll see in this next picture, as his body started to fail him, they would bring a chair up on stage because he couldn't stand up the whole time so that he could still lead worship for um, the church. You'll see in this next picture, it's a, picture of my high school gym. Um, Alex is on the right. And seven days before he passed away, he decided to, to go back to high school. He's freshman age. He's 19 and lead FCA. And um, that's how he lived his last few days. He never lost faith. He prayed for healing. And yet he knew what the outcome might be. This is what it looks like to take the next faithful step. That even when you don't understand, even when you would choose a different outcome, you remain faithful to your role in God's story so that others will see and come to know Christ. And that's all Alex tried to do from, January, from four years ago, but especially from January 18th until this past Thursday. All he wanted was that people would come to know Jesus knowing that our reward is not here on earth. We can read Joseph's story and see a good outcome and think, hey, we're going to have a good outcome. But our reward is not on this earth. Our reward is to be in the presence of Christ. So to close, here's the good news. That, yes, we can find ourselves in the story of Jesus, in the story of Joseph. But the truth is, in the story of Joseph, in the, in the grander scheme of the Bible, we're not really supposed to find ourselves in that so much. Scripture is pointing us to someone else. Scripture is pointing us to Jesus, and the story of Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus. You see, Joseph was a favorite son who suffered so that many would be saved. Jesus was a favorite and only son of God who suffered so that all might be saved. The good, the good news is that Jesus has already done all the work for our salvation. Our role is to trust him. He knows we're going to fail and probably fail often. And so when it comes time or when we do fail, when we do mess up, when we do fall short, when we do lack faith, not taking that next faithful step, we just take some random step, Jesus doesn't condemn us. He reaches out to save us. That's what the whole scripture is about. So today I challenge you to trust him, to trust God's sovereignty and his good plan for your life and to take your next faithful step. If anyone could have got mad at God, it could have been Alex. It could have been Alex's mom, Alex's older brother who's a couple years older. But he wanted God to get, he wanted people still to see that God was good. One person on Facebook posted this quote from Alex. And so as we head into our time of response, our time of communion, where we recognize God's goodness, his forgiveness, his acceptance, his welcome back, we hear, I'll close with these words from Alex. Jesus Christ is king. He's so good. And he wants to move in your life. Won't you let him? Let's pray. Father, Father, Thank you for being in control. Thank you for being a trustworthy God. Thank you for for giving us more purpose than just what's on this earth. There's more than anything we could could ever imagine you have in store for us. And so God, I thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that you're in control and I'm not, that I'm just a role player in your story. Father, may we take our next faithful step. Like Alex, may we just show up. Alex continued to show up, even though his life was going downhill on this earth. He showed up. May we show up. May we take our next faithful step, knowing that we can trust you. God, we thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.